Hello, everyone, and welcome to Breaking, a baseball news podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm Tim Jackson here with TC Zenka. TC, as always, lots happening in the game this week. Seems maybe really picking up all over. How are you, and, and how is your baseball lately? I'm great. I'm swinging at everything. I'm just watching every single game, everything that comes on. I'm taking a look. I don't even care if it's American League. I'm watching it. <laughs> Uh, I've also tried to tune into more games than I regularly would. I'm catching at least one a day. And generally, I, I haven't always been able to do that in the past with this or that or the other thing going on. Uh, but this year, I'm kind of making it a point to at least have it on in the background. And it's kind of fun being able to um, discover some new broadcasts that I really enjoy. So It's one of the things that I love about baseball is that you can actually watch it in the background while doing other things. I mean, you, almost, you have to because otherwise... You can't really commit four hours a day to watching a baseball game or three hours a day to watching a baseball game. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. And as we start to move into the season, into the thick of it, some things are starting to be more than just weird stuff at the beginning of the year. One of those things, one of the earliest things to really stabilize our swing rates in baseball or our plate discipline pieces. And there's kind of a big thing going on in baseball right now. Contact rate in the zone is down to at least a five-year low. So we're going all the way back to 2017. The average contact in the zone right now is 82.9% of the time in baseball right now. So just hearing that stat alone, TC, what is your initial response as you also, I guess, hear that and maybe process some of the complaints or gripes about modern baseball? Yeah, I mean it's hard to hit baseballs still, and it's getting it's getting harder. I mean, the pitchers are throwing faster, the ball is moving more. It's really hard. These guys, you see these pitchers today. I mean, I think of like Emmanuel Classe, who's one of these guys who throws pretty much one pitch, and it's an incredible cutting fastball that goes moves 100 miles an hour. And it's like, I mean, we thought Mariano Rivera was hard to hit, and he was. And Classe is not better than Mariano Rivera, you know, make no mistake. But his stuff is just insane, and that's kind of the point is that he's not Mariano Rivera. And still, he, I mean, he, the, the movement on this pitch, on, his, on, his, on that heater, like, it's just insane. It's so hard for professional hitters, even, even professional hitters, to hit these baseballs nowadays. I think the biggest point that you're making there is that it's not a matter of being the best pitcher in the game or the best closer or the most shutdown guy or clutch or whatever you want to phrase it as. It's guys on nearly every team in the league with this video game type stuff. Like even right now, as we record... The Angels are playing the Rangers, and Chris Rodriguez is on the mound. And if you watch him, the way his stuff moves is crazy. And if you're listening to us this instant, you might say, who is Chris Rodriguez? That's problematic. Let's start with which team is he on? <laughs> He's on the Angels. He's on the mound right now. And I think that's a great point, emphasizing the way that guys who have incredible stuff just exist now to the point where we don't even know who they are right off the bat. There are a few things going on when it comes to zone contact being down for hitters this year. And, of course, it ties into the league changing the ball again, this time deliberately, explicitly, purposely, in the offseason, making an effort to deaden the ball. Now, I just wrote this up for BP. It's out into the world now. You can find it. There are tidbits of it online uh, being circulated around by... Uh, just a couple of BP people. And here's the thing. The league did a couple of tweaks. 
The ball is lighter by like a couple of paper clips, which seems like absolutely nothing, but in the grand scheme of a baseball being thrown, it's a huge deal. Which means that exit velocities are up because it's getting hit. It's it's got to do with like the, the physics of the ball hitting the bat and how the bat can move through a lighter object. Fly ball distance is down though because we could think of this as Rob Arthur explained it on at Baseball Prospectus where it's kind of like a balloon and a dodgeball, right? Imagine a balloon and a dodgeball getting hit at the same angle with the same force behind it. The balloon is going to accelerate and move way faster initially and then slow down really quickly, right? The dodgeball is going to not go as fast as quickly, but it's going to go much, much further. All of this plays into how the ball is playing into games, but there's one other thing that the ball is doing that's different than before. It's moving more. So now we're saying we've got guys like Emmanuel Classe, Chris Rodriguez, all these other guys around the league. If I'm telling you the ball is suddenly moving more and they already had this video game type stuff, does it even seem realistic that hitters can actually hit? Well, it would help if the pitchers stopped using uh, illegal substances on the baseballs, maybe. (laughs) That's certainly uh, helping with their movement a little bit. Or at least if Major League Baseball would, you know, attempt to regulate that kind of thing. Uh, you know, if they're going to change the baseball every year, maybe they should just regulate what pitchers are putting on it instead. Um, but yeah, I mean, guys are still going to hit. I mean, I don't know. There seems like there's a lot of things at play here, right? It's the trends of the last couple of years. It's the like three true outcomes style of baseball that we've moved into. It's pitchers being able to throw harder and therefore, uh, you know, you know, velocities just are up and that makes it harder to hit. Um, the, like the advent of the, the kind of high rising fastball as a strikeout pitch has meant uh, a greater reliance on breaking pitches and softer stuff for as like your get me over pitch or early in the strike or early in the count kinds of pitches, which is kind of reversing the old uh, expectation of, you know, fastball, fastball strike, and then a curveball to get you out. Uh, so now we're seeing those, you know, more like curveball, curveball, fastball that gets you out. So, um, so we are seeing more, in some ways, a greater emphasis on those those movement pitches. But I don't know how how we're. I think the bigger thing for me is that like I don't know how we're supposed to get a handle on it if the baseball keeps changing. And it does, right? And that's what makes it so kind of frustrating that the league made a direct effort to change it this off season because every time the league gets involved. It seems as though they don't they either don't account for unintended consequences or they don't even think about them. And you know, like that's why maybe policing what guys can use in terms of substance that they put on the ball to get the better grip. I don't know that they'd even be able to do that because and one, you're always gonna have people say this isn't what I'm what I like, this isn't what I've used, or so on, and, and find new ways to experiment. But two, the league hasn't done anything that you can really like trust right away right there's always some weird consequence happening or some weird ulterior motive and i'm not sure that players would really buy into what they're doing as as if they've actually tested it and the problem with pitches moving more in the zone just with how the ball is naturally built 
now, how it's constructed by Rawlings, is that it's, it is harder to hit. Even if guys are swinging at the same rate of pitches in the zone, which they are, it's 65% and change over the last five years. If they're missing it more, it seems like baseball's attempt to deaden the ball actually is causing more problems and feeding into the type of game they don't want. You know, having less home runs, which is kind of, you know, one of their goals, right? With having having this other kind of this, you know, glorified wiffle ball that's supposed to, you know, die die near the track or whatever, not, not go as far. But that doesn't necessarily, but that doesn't mean there's going to be like more singles necessarily or more doubles, right? Aren't they just playing into just there being more outs because batters are still, and even more so emphasizing the need for those, for the big hits, right? So they're leaning more into yep. the desire to hit a home run and therefore going further into the three true outcome style of either like they're hitting home runs or they're swinging big and striking out or they're, they're, you know, flying out to the warning track. But that doesn't mean that they're like, doesn't mean we have a more dynamic, entertaining style of baseball if that was the goal. Right. They're counteracting their own intentions. We're undercutting them because we're not probably going to meet the home run title totals that we met in like 2019. But we are going to be on pace for a whole new record that tells us homers are going out per fly ball at a higher rate than ever. So maybe guys aren't hitting as many fly balls or hitting as many fly balls as far. But when they hit them, they're still getting out. So we're left with this kind of weird, herky-jerky, what do we do with this response? Because the, the league average weighted on base average for these pitches in the zone, these fastballs in the zone, is also at a five-year low of 326. And you look at that, it's, again, one of those things that as the league adjusts and as, as players optimize, pitchers want the strikeout, hitters want the extra base hit, if not the home run. As this all happens... Of course, strikeout rates are going up. Homers are going up. Walks are going up. We're losing small ball aspects of the game that apparently are utterly critical for its survival. And yet, that's all they seem to be embracing a little bit more accidentally. Like, let me think of it. Let me phrase it this way to you. If the league sees this continue, that the ball is continuing to be a problem even after they've tried to fix it, what do balls in play look like if this maintains? Like, do is it is it a worse, more extreme type of baseball than we've seen to this point? I'm not sure. I mean, in part because they're they're changing so many things at once, right? Or they're they're thinking about it. They're thinking about changing the the rules about shifts and whether or not you can have you know more than four infielders on the dirt or less than four infielders on the dirt. And it seems like they're kind of throwing a lot of things at the wall and they don't really know what, I don't think base, major league baseball really knows what product it wants, right? Like it, it knows that people <laughs> like home runs, home runs are fun to watch. Chicks dig the long ball uh, to quote an uh, outdated phrase. Uh, chicks and dudes dig the long ball. <laughs> well, and, and that, <laughs> that commercial from the 90s with uh, Glavin and Maddox, I think, and McGuire. If you haven't seen it, YouTube it. It's well worth so, like, the time. I don't know, you know, and strikeouts are 
fun, right? That's this, you know, with the, you know, Pitching Ninja and and all the stuff that the work that uh, Alex Fast has been doing here at Pitcherlist. Like there's a lot of, and, and, and Nick Pollock and everybody else here, like there's a lot of, uh, it's definitely a bit of a niche movement now. Like people, at least young people such as myself, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, like strikeouts and do like the, I, I would say that like, you know, baseball Twitter, which I think is a very particular subset of baseball fandom, but a, a large portion of it, uh, they like strikeouts, right? And, but I don't know what the, I don't know that like that crowd is like going away if we start seeing more balls in play, but it begins to feel, I mean, how much, uh, just how much are we supposed to, do we want baseball, major league baseball that is like as an organization to be, you know, dictating what the sport is and to be like orchestrating it in a particular direction. I mean, the velocities have gotten really high should we try? I mean, now they're experimenting with moving the the pitcher's mound back a foot, right? In uh, in the Atlantic League or the some league, they're experimenting with that, which is kind yep. of an insane shift. It would be the biggest, uh, like you know, practical change in baseball since probably I don't know, lowering the you know, changing the the mound height, which was. 60s right yeah, so the 60s i mean that's a gigantic change but again it's like they're attacking this thing whatever issue this is they're attacking from all these different angles and i'm not i'm not clear on what the goal is right like is the goal less home runs is it less of a three, three true outcome style of baseball because everything else is moving in that direction and as the game has moved that direction fandom has moved that direction a little bit I don't know. I, I find the whole thing just a little bit muddled. Muddled is maybe one of the best words to use when describing Major League Baseball. And I, I say that in every true sense of the capital letter MLB, because it seems as though they try to assume this mantle of being and representing baseball. But you really hit on two things there. One of them was that Everything we talk about when they get involved always kind of becomes this like weird gray color instead of a clear black or white thing, right? Like everything. And the other is they really don't seem to know what they want. They seem to want a better pace of play, whatever that means or looks like, without being able to define it. They want it, they want more balls in play while trying not to uh, also alter the rule. Like that's the thing. To... Get more balls in play at this point. You would have to alter rules that regard right. shifts and things like that. I think I think that's undeniable. But if you're altering rules, that also seems to be one of the things that people who want more balls in play don't really want to do. Like they, they, I feel I, maybe this is a an egregious jump to make, but I feel as though those people are also very anti DH in the NL, right? Like no, like we we need more small ball. We need to put value on this and that, uh, but. We can't change the game to quite do it. Or if we change it, you know, we, we got to, like, guys aren't going to stop swinging for home runs. That's the thing that kills me. Like, living where I do and being on the border of New York and Philly Sports Talk Radio is maybe a, a sick place to be as, as, a, as a person who's in the car a lot. But you hear a lot of opinions about, like, oh, all these guys are swinging for the home run. That's all they care about. Well, yes, that's the best thing. That's the best thing they can do. Why wouldn't they prioritize that? Why wouldn't the pitcher try to work around him in that sense? 
And all of this comes down to like, I don't really trust the league to get involved with anything because even if they do, say the league gets involved, if this keeps up through the all-star break and they're like, well, now it's really getting warm and what's it going to look like when the, the air is thinner and the ball is carrying better through it? Would the league even be upfront about this problem if they felt it was no, a problem? No, I mean, they haven't been upfront about even changing the ball in the past. Like they have, they have not been very transparent about the decisions that they've made and the reasoning behind it. And the bigger thing now, I think, is that we have this the CBA negotiations, which is going to totally hijack the next year and where every single thing that MLB does is going to have this ulterior motive of jockeying for position with the players union and really, and, and the same way going the other way with the players union, with the league, like there's going to be, this is a gigantic negotiation that is happening, that it started to happen and kind of every issue is going to be on the table. And that's going to make any like practical kind of pure change really complicated. The union and the league talking about the new CBA is probably a really critical point that I think the league offices would prefer we not talk about, that we do maybe address our attention toward things like the ball changing or what oh, yeah. kind They're of like, effects Tony Clark? Who's, who's Tony Clark? But they, we, don't, we don't know. Uh, I have a cousin <laughs> named, named Anthony. Anthony Clark, is that maybe who you're talking about? <laughs> well, they just had their first meeting yeah. yesterday, right? About the first CBA talks that, uh, like, of course, um, you know, their first talk really since the the union rejected playing fewer games this year, which I think is in and of itself just a weird thing that that, that baseball would want to play fewer games. Yeah. Um, does baseball, again, being the body of MLB, does MLB have a problem embracing its own game at this point? Yeah, it definitely does. I don't think it knows... I mean, Major League Baseball is has a real problem with change. It really is not very comfortable with change. And the fan base isn't necessarily comfortable with change. I mean, it's interesting thinking about, like, the home run, this, like, three true outcome revolution, whatever it is, like, as especially as it compares to basketball, right? Because, you know, basketball's had the same kind of shift towards analytics, where now pace of play is up, three-point shots are way up, and lucky for basketball the way basketball has been set up it's that they have a much more entertaining product now like people love basketball and basketball's the three three point shots for a while have kind of like it's still to the game and some somewhat but it's caused scoring to go way up and pace play to go way up and baseball has the same the three true outcomes is the same movement in baseball right it's hitters trying to maximize their ability to score home runs are the most efficient way to score and it's pitchers trying to maximize their efficiency. The most efficient way to get a batter out is to strike him out. And so they've moved as, as far in that direction as they can. But there's this funny thing also that's happened in baseball where it doesn't play to the stars the way that basketball's revolution has, has mm-hmm. played to the stars where, you know, even, you know, LeBron James is, is kind of a moot point actually. So let's be, move beyond him. But like the, um, you know, James Harden has become like the face of this revolution in many ways, and he's super entertaining. He, one of the best offensive offensive basketball players ever. But in baseball, you know, I'm watching uh, I have the Nats and Cardinals game on right now, and baseball has long been defined by its like titans of the starting pitchers, right? Max Scherzer pitched today, went 
six scoreless innings. He looked insane. He looked like he's as close to a physically dominant force that we get in baseball, right? Jacob DeGrom, Clayton Kershaw. These guys, these are the like transcendent athletes that we have in baseball. Seeing a, a really dominant starting pitching performance, I think is kind of like the, I don't know, it, it, in some ways it's like the, the best expression of, of, I don't know if it's athleticism, but it's like physical dominance on the baseball field. And while like this, this move to, towards more strikeouts, you would think it plays like directly into somebody like Scherzer. It actually moves, has moved them us away from these guys because it's pushed the game towards shorter stint relievers and bring in more and different arms. And so instead of having a game that really highlights, uh, like, gosh, Scherzer's name is so hard to say so many, SH sounds. <laughs> Uh, but like, you know, these, these Titans starting pitchers were moving away from these guys and instead seeing just like a bunch of, you know, uh, not nameless, but kind of nameless relievers doing the same work, but one inning at a time. And it's kind of worked against baseball's favor because it has developed a more and a more nameless, less marketable product in the, in that sense for the, for the type of fan who's really following for these, for their, uh, for their star players in their local team, right? Right. The star power being focused on pitchers really does two things. One of them is that pitching is just based on run prevention, right? So when you have this offensive-based environment, it really runs counterintuitive to maybe celebrating every great pitcher. The other thing I think it emphasizes is that the pitcher is like, you said it, Scherzer went six innings, six shutout innings, right? If Mike Trout only played two-thirds of the game and was incredible, but he still didn't play the final third, we probably wouldn't really talk about him. And the hitters are cycling through, right? So we don't get to see them on at the same rate as pitchers. And if they're fading into relievers sooner or more, as the league is doing again and again, another thing that is ramping up each year, the focus is really taken away from the guys like DeGrom or Scherzer uh, and anybody else among that class. I feel like those guys also have staying power more so year after year than maybe the top hitters do, right? Like the top hitters might shuffle down. You might not hear about Anthony Rendon the same way you would the third or fourth best yeah, pitcher well, I mean, in the, the league, right? The, you know, as much as baseball is a sport for – it's a team sport – there's no single guy that can move the needle more than a than a than an ace, than a Jacob Degrom, a, a you know a Max Scherzer who was getting, who's posting five to six WAR every single season. I mean, that's what's kept the Nationals as one of the best franchises in baseball the last eight nine years. It's because they have him out there, guaranteed every single season, giving them absurd production. They know that like they have that guarantee in their, on their roster. I wrote about this actually for a picture list last week, looking at kind of the nationals model. And while like Strasburg is the guy that he's kind of like the, um, he's maybe the protagonist. He's the guy that like the, the team rises and floats with, right? Like Scherzer, he's without a doubt the, the main character. Like, look at these, let me just, just, let me read his war numbers going back 2010. This was his third season with the, with the Tigers. Four F war, 
then 2.3, 4.5, 5.9, 5.6. 2015 is his first year with the, with the Nationals. 6.5, 5.6, 6.4, 7.5, 6.5. And then last year, he had 1.8, uh, you know, in shortened time, which ends up uh, being up over, what is 1.8 times 2.7? <laughs> This is too much math for me. Uh, nope, that's wrong. <laughs> it's a shade under five. It's like 4.86. Right, so that's his worst season since 2012. I mean, dude's been crazy consistent. And if you have that kind of horse at the top of your rotation, it's a lot easier to stay in contention. You don't have to hit on quite so many other other things, right? But those guys, they don't really exist anymore because on a, on like on a season-to-season basis, that makes sense. But on a game-to-game basis, does it make sense to throw – Max out there for the seventh inning when he's thrown, you know, a hundred pitches already. And they've, the batting order has already seen him twice through. And we know, we know that hitters do so much better. The more they see a guy, like, doesn't it make sense to bring in a fresh arm who throws from a different angle and also throws a hundred miles an hour and can really go all out for 20 pitches. And then you bring in a different guy after that. Like that's what makes sense, but it's not as, it's not as fulfilling. I don't think for fans even if i love watching the game still i think that's very entertaining but you know one of the reasons i hate watching the american league and i hate watching the giants is because there's no names on the jerseys and so i never know who these guys are and i do want to know who these guys are when they come in because there's more (laughs) and more there's so many relievers in the game now there's so many decent relievers in the game it's not just seven eight man bullpens these are 15 man bullpens that are getting cycled in and out all season and there are going to be a lot of guys who come up and look incredible for a game or two and then get sent back down and so it's, it does become hard to keep up and i do think it becomes harder and harder to i don't think it's as fulfilling at least i don't think it's as fulfilling for local fans but also like how do you argue with it that's or what do you i think this is what mlb is struggling with right like how do you change this when like logically this is what makes sense right you can't just dictate that that starting pitchers spend more time that they you, that teams stick with them longer, right? That's why they're exploring this, this double hook system in the, you know, in wherever they're doing the, the moving the pitching mound back, the Atlantic um, again, yeah. you know, the double hook being in the net, you have the DH until you take your starting pitcher out. And once you take your starting pitcher out, you also have to take your DH out and the relievers slot into that spot in the order, which is, we talked about this, I think, once in the past, because this was something that uh, Bud Black had floated. And I, it, it's just surprising to me that this is something that baseball people are going for, because this is as radical a change as anything I've heard. And yet, like, you know, moving the shortstop to the second base side of the, of the bag, like, the the fundamentalists flip out. But, like, this is a would be a gigantic shift, but the goal would be that you incentivize teams to keep their starting pitcher in the game longer because they get that extra bat in the order, right? And if you have, you know, Nelson Cruz as your DH, you don't want to take him out after four innings, right? You don't want to do the, you know, the Brewers are going to have a tough time with that. They will. And at that point, you're also really trying to, I I don't know. I don't know how that would even really play out in a real game that the double hook proposal uh, I haven't quite wrapped my head around it. I don't think I like it just because it seems like it's it's trying to to be the uh, one of the more popular Michael Michael K phrases of uh, being half pregnant. Right? Yeah. Like you can't be half pregnant. 
you can't have a DH and not have a DH. Like you need to kind of make the assessment and make the choice. And it's really just feeling like it's trying to appease people. It is, but um, I mean, I also think it's which it is kind of works. Now. I mean, I hated it at first, but I'm kind of come around to it because it does keep this element of strategy in the National League. It does get a D, does keep your pitchers from hitting right because the idea is that even once you take your starting pitcher out and you get to pull the DH, you're still going to use pinch hitters then. So the idea is that you're still not letting pitchers hit, right? But it does have this added element of strategy that that national league fans like and it uh it does get a designated hitter at least a couple at bats a game at minimum and it does incentivize you to keep your guy in longer right if you have if you if you have a 2-2 game and scherzer is pitching in the sixth and he's looking good and you have the you know the kyle schwarber gh spot coming up next next inning you might think extra you might think long and hard about keeping sending max out there for another inning you might, but what I think this would lead to and what I would be very leery of is these guys have been trained to this point for so long to max out on every pitch. And I don't think you can tell somebody who has been trained that literally trained that way, physically, mentally, to go all out on every pitch to suddenly hold back because you're going to have to. If you're if you're going to be expected to go more innings, you're not going to be able to throw the same way. You're not going to be able to throw as hard. But what I think what we're really getting into with this in terms of the hypotheticals are the things that the league should consider that it really hasn't yet when it comes to what's, what is the new ball and the impact it's having. Because like we're saying, velocity is always up. Um, you know, Guys are, are throwing harder than ever. But now that those fastballs are moving more than ever, so you're making it harder for guys, for hitters to level up in the zone. The breakers you talked about earlier are breaking even more away from the zone, making it even harder to catch up to those. So it's almost like I just, I, I kind of shrug. And, and we talked about it a couple minutes ago about whether the league has a problem embracing its own product. And we've talked about that a couple of times through various forms and topics. I just feel like it's insisting as though there is a problem when I'm not sure that there really is a problem that exists because what concerns me about the contact issues in particular that really we're talking about two things here, these contact issues, the three true outcomes that go with it and the strategies for trying to get pitchers involved more uh, or at least throwing more or or being in the game longer. The problem that I have when it comes to the contact issues is that while we can't quite believe fully what a player is doing at the plate, how they're approaching the plate, we still have tens of thousands of pitches thrown already this year. So that the WOBA against fastballs in the zone is down to a five-year low, whereas before 2021, it never dropped below 335, and now right, it's that's at 326. That's a pretty significant drop. Like, you know, as, as look at the, I was going to ask you about the, huge. the contact percentage in the zone which is, it's, you know, looking at your article here, it's down to 82.9, the contact in the zone, Z contact percentage, which is also a five-year low. But it's, yep. it, is that significant from, you know, from 83.8 to 82.9, down from 84.6% in 2017? I'm not sure if that's significant or not. But if you look at the Woba against, like you just said, 326 down from 338 last year and 342 five years ago, like that is a significant drop. Like that, I don't need, 
you know, I don't need statisticians to tell me. Like, I know that's that's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And you even asked about like the percentages of the pitches in the zone. So maybe from 2020 to 2021, it's not a huge deal. It's just about 1%. But going back the last few years, you're talking 2% pretty much. And just think about seeing 2% less contact on pitches in the zone over the course of a full 162. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of pitches being thrown. You're probably talking pitches in the six figures that are in the zone or not. The 2% scale is really big, right? Like if I if I told you, um, I don't know, you could have 2% of a milkshake. It's not that big of a deal, right? But if I could tell you, you could have 2% of the the ice cream factory that provides the product for it, that you're getting way more milkshake, right? Uh, yeah, and have you seen The Leftovers, one of the best shows of the past ever? 2% of the population disappears. Oh, not that big a deal. It's only 2%. But the entire world is crazy now. <laughs> that show's incredible. Justin Throw looks incredible. And it's a big deal. 2% is a lot. When you, when, you, when you really scale it up, that's a bunch of people who disappeared. It's a bunch of people. And that's what I think we, I think it's, Maybe and not the good that people. Easy. And this is the same thing, right? <laughs> We're not seeing that contact. The contact, that's the good contact. That's what we want. Contact in the zone. Yeah. Yep. These are the good Christian swings that we're missing. <laughs> well, the thing is now it's leading to like a league low batting average of like since World War II of 233. Like just absolutely bonkers. Now, and, I, yeah, go on. Well, that that's it. Like, I, how do you respond to that? What does the league do? They're trying to do the exact opposite, and they're only embracing unwittingly the thing they're already trying to get rid of that they say is somehow bad. I just don't know what the league does to respond to this. So there is one big shift that's coming soon that is a big issue of, of mine. You know, it's a hot-button issue of mine that is going to be a gigantic plus for hitters, and that is the automated strike zone. When we get the automated strike zone, hitters will, for the first time ever in the history of baseball, you know, and this is assuming that the automated strike zone works as it's intended to, right? That it has, say it's a, you know, 95% accurate or something, 99% accurate, right? Hitters for the first time ever will know what the strike zone is. They'll actually know what the strike zone is. They won't have to come up, they won't have to figure it out over the first three innings. They'll know from the jump and hitters are, Hitters are also adapting, right? Like back in the day, 100 miles an hour was impossible to hit. Now guys wake up and they do it in their pajamas. It's, it's a piece of cake, right? Like, yes, obviously it's not because that's what we're talking about, how hitters are swinging and missing more than ever, but they're still making contact occasionally. Like the guys have gotten better at hitting velocity. Yeah, Jazz when Chisholm they, squaring up Jacob deGrom, like that was insane. And when they, exactly. And when they know what the strike zone is, like, Right now, like umpire air is this huge, huge plus for pitchers. They have this, this, you know, sheen of mystery that they can use to their advantage. We talk about all the time with the, the Kyle Hendricks types and the Greg Maddox, right? How can you move the strike zone just a little bit? We talk about it with catcher framing. But we're really what we're talking about is just uncertainty for hitters. Hitters live in, in the land of uncertainty, right? And they're the ones who are responding. And so if they all of a sudden have this have have a certain understanding of what the strike zone is. It's going to allow them to really sit on a pitch. If they see a pitch once they, 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 that misses, they, they're not going to have to expand their zone. 
to hit to you know worried about whether or not the umpire is going to call that one or not like I don't I think it's I think it's vastly misunderstood and and underestimated how much umpire error really affects hitters and how much of an advantage it is for pitchers because that's the whole game the whole game of pitching versus hitting is uncertainty right you want your hitters pitchers want to make hitters feel off balance that's why they're changing speeds that's why they're changing locations that's why they're you know disguising the their pitch calls that's why they're you know fanning their gloves and doing all these different things to disguise uh their their motion right this is like that's the whole thing is uncertainty having an automatic strike zone gives hitters a huge leg up they have not had before right i, I think so, that's going to be a huge thing that's coming for hitters when it does come you know a year or two from now what you're saying is that really allows hitters potentially to be the ones attacking more so than they ever have been able to in the past because just by the nature of the game the pitcher has the ball in his hand right the pitcher is the one attacking whereas the hitters just have to react And like you're saying, feel out the zone for the first three innings and then hope it doesn't change in the eighth when the umps want to get home and and catch Melrose, right? Like, Exactly. And, you know, they they get a a pitch. You know, Kyle Hendricks gets a pitch that dots the corner. It was maybe a little bit off the corner and the ump calls it a strike. That pitch is hard to hit if if it's off the corner, right? That's very hard to hit. And now all of a sudden the batter doesn't know where that strike zone ends, right? So now Kyle Hendricks throws a pitch that after getting a call that was one inch off the plate, now he throws one that's two inches off the plate or three inches off the plate. And the, and the hitter, not knowing, not understanding what the actual strike zone is now, has to swing at that pitch. He just has to. You can't, you can't risk that. So you, you take a heck of that. But if they're not going to have that kind of uncertainty anymore, now if, if the pitch is called a strike, they're going to know, okay, that's the spot. If it comes to that spot again, I know I can hit it. And the hitters are that precise. It's not just Ted Williams and Juan Soto. Like, major league hitters are that precise. They know if a pitch is coming – if it's hitting the same spot or not, they are, I think, pretty shockingly precise in terms of how well they see the ball and how well they know the strike zone. I mean, not, you know, Javi Baez, not starting on Castro, but a lot of these hitters do know the zone. And I think, you know, you put together this great list of, uh, of the hitters this year who are seeing their, uh, their change changes in, in their zone contact, their swings, zone swing percentage. And then right, right. I found it interesting that on this list that you put together, of the hitters who've had the greatest change in zone contact percentage and zone swing percentage. The guy at the top of the list, the guy who's seen the biggest drop in his zone contact percentage is Nick Solak, who also happens to be the guy who I talked about at the, uh, at PitchCon last year as the guy who had the most incorrect calls from an umpire last season, right? His strike zone was all over the place. So this is a young guy who already is trying to, to establish himself as a hitter. He's in a brand new ballpark during a pandemic He's getting tons of incorrect calls. He doesn't have any idea what the strike zone is. And now he's, he's a little caught off guard again, right? He's, he's swinging and missing a lot more. And obviously I can't say that this is a direct result of anything, but it, it tracks to me in a narrative sense that a guy who's had an uncertain sense of the strike zone now is maybe coming up, coming up behind or is, is being caught unawares and missing more, not on just balls out of the strike zone, but on balls in the strike zone as well, right? If he's uncertain at the plate, especially with velocities being what they are nowadays, like he's going to be behind, he's going to be missing, swinging, missing more. So I'm, again, I can't 
say anything's called here, but I, I will just say that it, it does not surprise me to see Nick Solak at the top. And it's of a really list. interesting observation in terms of how this would track year to year because that is the gist of the list that maybe we can we can share out on the on the pod account where it's just the the data where it was like a VLOOKUP formula and finding last year versus this year. Uh, with a minimum of 40 ABs so far this year, or 40 plate appearances, and 150 last year. So if a guy like Solak really is coming into the league, like I I don't know, I guess what I'm really trying to say is that the, the narrative aspect of it really does make sense to me, right? Like, of course, like, oh, we, our brains just like convenient stories, but this stuff does seem to track. And I think that's maybe where one of the, the biggest gaps in analytics right now is in, ter- is in terms of relating it, right? of connecting the dots between yeah. the data points where the people who are creating the data, data points actually exist, right? They, they're not the numbers. They're the ones creating the numbers by machines that we use to measure as they actually play baseball. So that makes a lot of sense to me, and that really makes me curious about how players can even adjust to this as we go through the course of the year because I'm not sure, sure how they are. Like, Javi Baez is swinging a ton, right? Just like a ton. And (laughs) TC is shaking his head right now. He's not happy about it. Uh, He is swinging pretty much the same amount as he always has, except now he's making like 14% less contact in the zone. So when the guy's already free swinging and suddenly you're going to ax his contact like that, that's huge. So, okay, so he's swinging and making a lot less contact in the zone while swinging the same amount. Clint Frazier, another young guy who's a really tough time getting a regular role and a regular commitment from the Yankees, he is swinging less in the zone and still making less contact. So it's almost like he's trying to focus on pitches going to certain parts of the zone where he does damage, something guys really do train for at this point, and he still can't quite catch up to it. And when the team around him is very content to use him as kind of a scapegoat, kind of a narrative, right? Themselves to be like, oh, well, Clint can't handle it. We're going to get Brett Gardner in there. He's a veteran. He really knows how to do it. He, we just like the way he plays. So we've got Bias swinging pretty much the same. Frazier actually swinging more, a lot more, about 10% more pitches in the zone, but making somehow less contact than he did last year. And DeYoung, Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals, swinging a lot less, like almost 20% less at pitches in the zone so far and still making 10% less contact. So you have guys trying everything. Guys who, again, we can't believe what they're doing as individuals, but they are indicative of this big sample of tens of thousands of pitches to this point. All approaching this differently, meeting the same result with making less contact in the zone. And that's why I'm like, what does baseball do about this? What does what Major League Baseball like, how do they fix the problem they insisted existed and then created? I'm not sure how they fix that. I do think the automated strike zones will help a lot because it will give – it does tilt the balance back in the direction of the hitters a little bit. And I'm not sure – for me, I'm not sure that, that I want to see – like, we, they can make – they can do things to make pitchers throw less hard, right? They can make the ball heavier. They can move the mound back. To me, I'm not sure that that's the – the best thing that seems like you're handicapping your sport a little bit. So I'm not sure that that's why you'd want to do that. The automated strike zone to me is, is a nice counterbalance to that. Like pitchers are still going to be very hard to hit, but with some certainty, with some zone certainty, uh, hitters should have some more 
solid footing. Now, I did want to ask you, were you able to look at, were you able to see anything like month by month? I did not look monthly, no, just yearly. I'm thinking about a guy like Josh Bell of the Nationals, right? He is he has not started out great. He, he missed time at the start of the year because he was on the COVID list. And from a little bit that I've watched him, he looks late. He just looks late on fastballs, which is the way I feel like at least anecdotally, a lot yeah. of hitters start, right? You know, you wake up first thing in the morning, you're not swinging quite as fast, right? I, I'm a slow starter in the morning for sure. Right. And we're still in the morning the period season. of the day of yeah. the, of the, of the season, like hitters are still ramping up to full speed and, you know, there's a reason that pitchers and catchers report early, but pitchers are already throwing full speed, you know, for the most part, they're already throwing hundred miles an hour. And so I do wonder if there's some, if there's an element, especially because of the weirdness of the last year and because of the, the shorter layoff between seasons and because of the, you know, COVID situation, meaning maybe players aren't able to have the same kind of offseason right. workouts that they're used to having. I wonder if players, if hitters, especially, are taking are, are a little slow to, to ramp up to these to these high value. I think that's pitches. a fair tact, especially again on an individual basis where guys obviously have very different routines. Well, what I think more than anything that emphasizes all of that that you just said is really that pitchers do not need to rely on having live hitters to get better and train the same way that hitters need to rely on having actual pitchers, right? Like you can't hit off a tee. And then go out and face the DeGroms, the Scherzers of the world, and expect to have success. You might be able to have a, like a virtual reality type setup, but I don't know how prominent those are. And I don't think that they're in players' individual homes like different, uh, different tech are, like Rapsodo with pitchers, who, you know, a lot of guys have those units at their houses now. So I. I just, I don't know. I feel like we, we have these conversations sometimes and I just feel myself shrugging and kind of struggling to string together some words about what's actually happening with baseball because, again, the league insisted that there was a problem with how the game is being played. It still seems to insist on that passively. They seem to create more problems as they do this. And then they don't really have answers for the questions that they bring up. So let me ask you this, TC. We've talked about the DH hook We've talked about robot umps. We've talked about deadening the ball, about possibly banning shifts. If you could take just one of those, which one do you think would provide the best baseball with the least messy consequences after the fact that we would have to clean up? At the, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I have to go back to the automated strike zones because it's, it makes the most sense. It brings us to, to the most pure form of the game. Like people do not understand how much umpires muddy the waters and all respect to umpires. It is very, very difficult to do what they do. Machines can just do it better. And once we have, once they have the strike zone that works, that is, that is more accurate than, than human umpires are, which we are not far from. I just think that that's going to provide such a firmer foundation for the game because all of a sudden the game itself is built on that showdown it's pitcher versus hitter right it's one it's mano a mano right as much as it's a team game and it's nine innings and it's a four-hour game the, the those the crux of this game it's built on that showdown right and we don't know always what's going on with it because the umpires are in there trying to adjudicate and, and they're screwing it up all the time they're like sticking their hands in where they don't belong if we had some real clarity there if we really knew 
that they had that pitchers and hitters were always working with the same strike zone that they were actually playing on level ground metaphorically <laughs> because physically they're not playing on level ground like to me that changes that gives us such a more a more pure form of this game and from there we can really see i think it's just going to change that foundational uh element of the game and i think it's going to make it I don't know what what exactly it's going to do. And I think that's kind of the thing that'll be interesting to see. And from there, that kind of like gets us back to square one, right? Like we need to make sure that everything's working properly. And for that, you got to you gotta go back and you got to make sure that you don't have anything mucking up the works. And umpires are definitely mucking up the works right now. And then we can decide like, okay, pitchers are better than hitters. I mean, we know they are, but they're so much better than hitters. Like we got to give them some more. We got to do you know, then we can start like adjudicating the sticky stuff on the ball and, and figuring out exactly what the ball is supposed to be. Like the, le- the, we need like the purest form of the game that's possible, right? The less extenuating circumstances, the easier the game is to understand, you know, be- baseball in Colorado is difficult because right. the air is thinner and the ball moves differently there. It, it complicates, it makes building a winner in Colorado really difficult. Also, they don't have computers in Denver, I guess. And that makes it complicated. But the point is just that like, you know, the more extenuating circumstances, the the more difficult the game is to understand and the more difficult the game is to fix. And so if you want the game to be a certain way, whatever way that is, I don't think Major League Baseball knows, but presumably they can figure it out at some point. Then I think you have to get to the place where you have the least amount of variables possible right and to me removing umpire bias is gets us gets us the closest to that to that you know lessens our amount of variables in a a major way more more so than the ball weight or Or how it responds off the bat or texture how it responds off the bat or or all this other stuff i mean to me, I think it that, wouldn't that's really big, look different, Robo Umps, right? We we would still have the ump behind the plate relaying no. the call, and actually, we would get. You got a big fat white guy back there <laughs> for the most part, <laughs> with a mask uh, on. For the most part, and I mean, hopefully that right. changes too. Uh, but you and, know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, like scoffing because you know it's it's one thing at a time with MLB, and uh, you you don't want to ask yeah. them to chew their gum and walk because they might choke on it and and trip and hurt their face or something. So we've really dug into all these weird, potentially untenable, absolutely unpredictable changes that baseball is making. I think I would line up closer to the robo-homes too. I'm, I'm thinking more in my head about what it would be like to just keep fielders steadier, to, to keep them in certain areas. Uh, although I think my thing is like, I'm just not yeah. that upset with baseball that I need to see anything change in particular i think the biggest thing i would care about is the dh right like just stop letting them stop letting the pitchers hit like they clearly don't train for it or care like i want people at bat who are interested in swinging a bat and that's not pitchers but yeah right again like that's the showdown we want we right. want to see hitter versus pitcher seeing pitcher versus pitcher is not the game that's not what we want to see that's not what makes the game interesting it's like one guy who has an expert skill and this other guy who has this complementary and and you know inverse skill and we're seeing them go at it who's better at it like that's what's interesting seeing seeing pitchers <laughs> hit is not that 
I think that's a great place to pivot into this week in baseball and our injury roundup. Of course, again, huge names, big list of names going on it. So I'm going to throw these at you, TC. You tell me which ones you would be uh, most inclined to sweat as we go through these. Adrian Morjohon just went down for TJ with the Padres. Juan Soto placed on IL with a shoulder strain. Mike Mustakis placed on the 10-day IL. Starling Marte to the IL with a fractured rib and potentially as a result of a an oblique strain. Ronald Acuna day-to-day with an abdominal strain uh, and among others, all happening through baseball, dropping like flies and then some. So where do you even start with these? Yeah, I mean, there. I'm the Adrian Morahone, Tommy John is is the is the worst because it's the biggest injury. It's the most impactful to a single player, and and you know he wasn't the most impactful guy on the Padres, but he was a young up and coming guy. He is a young and up and coming guy, and it was exciting to see him make the rotation at the beginning of the year, and and. Tommy John is just one of those really difficult things that we have to live with in the game. It means that we lose these guys for a long time. It's going to be a year and a half, pretty much two seasons. We're going to lose Morahan, which is, it's just a bummer. It's a bummer for fans. It's a bummer for him as a player. I think that was really hard to take. Juan Soto going out could tank the Nationals <laughs> whole season. If he's out for more than 10 games, it's like, God, turn it off. I mean, They've already been shut out like four times this season. They're they're winning one to nothing right now. They won three to two yesterday. They just they've got no offense without Juan Soto. Why, why even bother? Just shut it down. And and the other one that's I mean Acuna I think is he's equally impactful, or he's he's as good as Soto was. He's not even as impactful to the to the Braves as Soto is. Soto is more important to the Nationals than Acuna is to the Braves. I would I would argue, but it seems like he'll be back okay. Marte is the other. He's Stanley Mar- Marte is is Soto to the Craig to Mish, the Marlins, right? Yeah, Craig they need Mish him in that lineup. on Twitter just recently called uh, Starling Marte pretty much irreplaceable in terms of keeping him around as a Marlin, and now he's like injured and very much irreplaceable right away. So that's that's certainly problematic for a team that needs that player to compete, maybe even more than Soto because the Marlins just don't have the resume or experience of some of the other guys on the Nats, right? Like talking about that staff and Stra- uh, Strasburg, uh, he's hurt now, but you've got Scherzer who's, who's done it time and time again. Corbin, who's trying to iron things out, you know, like yeah, and the I mean, Marlins don't have those kinds of players. And the Marlins, they don't have a Trey Turner either. I mean, at least the Nats have another guy who mm-hmm. can be a middle of the order force who can potentially carry them for a while. I mean, the Nats have Starling Marte and that's, and then they have hopes and dreams. That's, that's, that's what they have. In terms of TJ, Talking about Morejon, there's also Denelson Lamette of the Padres left today wow. after 29 pitches in his wow. first start back, where they were like, we just want him to come out healthy, and then he couldn't even break 30 Ugh. pitches. You know, that's does not seem good, uh, does not seem to bode well for the Padres, who now could have him going to TJ, hypothetically. Uh, it seems like it could really go that way, given what they've tried to do with him and what hasn't worked. Morejon... Uh, Clevenger already recovering. They've got pretty much a whole staff recovering. They know five from guys TJ, who are on the injured brutal. list with TJ. That's before Lamette. I mean, it, it, it's just incredible. They've, for all that AJ Preller did, they've needed every bit. They've needed every single bit of it, and they're still ten and nine. Like they're, they're already falling behind the Dodgers. It's just, it's just insane. The, it's just a tough road, tough road to hoe in the in the NL West. Absolutely. I think that emphasizes both that it's been very difficult for the Padres and that things have not gone well, but also the Dodgers are just like a machine we've 
we've not seen the likes of in in probably decades. Yeah, uh, I mean, how do you have Zach McKinstry come in and, and step in from Mookie <laughs> Bats, and it's like it's all good? I yeah, mean, come on, making it look casual. Uh, we have some retirements. Neil Walker officially retires, yeah. and uh, so does Jay Bruce rather unceremoniously. <laughs> yeah. He didn't get into that game on Sunday, did he? I didn't even get to look at the box score. I just saw that he he said he was going to be done after the weekend, and Aaron Boone was like, we have no plans to get him into the ballgame. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, come on. Plenty. <laughs> like, get him what I'd bat. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's like, no, I'm done. Don't, don't even bother. But you know, give the guy one last chance. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand why they couldn't get him a... I know one, one person I know one person who would not want one more at-bat for Jay Bruce uh, and it came, because it came down to one more at-bat in the fantasy baseball championship that we have in our league years ago. Uh, so Tony will probably curse <laughs> Jay Bruce and his 319 home runs because uh, if he just stayed at 318 like five years ago, six years ago, uh, he would have won the, the G-Ball championship. But uh, alas, Bruce hit the homer. Tony did not win, so uh, he, he will not be sending off any kind salutation for <laughs> Jay Bruce as he rides into the sunset. Uh, Jay Bruce, Flowers. I, I do yeah. want to say Jay Bruce is one of the, he's a classic good guy in baseball, right? Really yeah. has a really great reputation among players and among teams. Um, so as much as he is and, difficult to watch now and <laughs> maybe shouldn't be playing and isn't playing anymore and hasn't, he's never been a player I particularly liked. He's a good guy. It's, but it's, he's been good too. Yeah. And he's been a good guy. Neil Walker in a similar vein, right? He, he's yeah. gotten high praise pretty much everywhere he's been. And he thanked every fan base. Uh, or in yeah. every organization in his retirement message. So it's like he clearly doesn't have any ill feelings toward any of them. Then he's like, oh, let's leave them off. Yeah, uh, it feels like those guys are going to be still around the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And speaking of still around the game, Tyler Flowers has taken a front office job with Atlanta where he is pretty much relaying data to players and making it relatable to them beyond just numbers, which is really kind of interesting. Again, we, we talked about that might be one of the things teams are missing out on that they're trying to employ more and more. And what better way than a guy who was a catcher who will know the game inside and out because he had to, because that's literally what his job was. Yeah. And he's been with the Braves for five years. So he knows the organization really well. His family yeah. lives in Atlanta. He's they've essentially said that he's their emergency catcher that like he hasn't ruled out. He hasn't said that he's retiring and that he's staying in shape and that it's possible that if they need him, he could play again this year. He's like, but in the meantime, he's, he's just helping them with game plans and, 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 being essentially like a coach in their catcher's room. He's like yeah. the uh he's like he's like every sports center commercial where he's like showing up to work in his catching <laughs> gear, sitting down at his computer with his with his knee pads and his mask on. Oh, that's great. Get the reports, printing him out for the other catchers, but he's he, ready he, to go. He's there's inevitably a beat in that commercial where he's like trying to eat yogurt at his desk through his mask or something. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's so I mean I, I think it's kind of awesome and you know, he lives right it's essentially like a matter of convenience for both sides. Like he lives right there. Yeah. He knows the team. He's been there for five years. Right. He doesn't want to say that he's done. The Braves don't want to have to go out and get another catcher. So they're both kind of like, well, this is a pretty good contingency <laughs> plan. I don't think that there's a chance that flowers comes back. Unless if there's a basically like Darno would have to go down and Alex Jackson, Jackson and William Contreras would both have to be like, you know, they both ate the same. Right? They both ate the same raw meat or something and got sick. Right, exactly. Right, so it doesn't seem like there's a real good chance that of, of him hopping back in, but but it seems like a good kind of uh, a good relationship for both sides, and and he'll he will benefit that that catching room. 
for sure, which that seems like a pretty clear-cut situation. This does not. We've talked about how the league tends to muddle things. The Twins have had COVID issues recently, right? They suspended, what, four games, and they're going to be making them up uh, for what was amount, what amounted to, I think, three positive tests. The Phillies had the same amount of positive tests, and they haven't missed any games. So what's the rule of thumb for the league to delay games because of COVID? Well, what they're saying is that it's – and Ken Rosenthal, Ken Rosenthal had a piece about this or talked about this. What they're saying is that it has to do with the threat of an outbreak that the reason the Astros did not shut down and the Nationals did shut down is because there was a greater threat of an outbreak in the case of the Nationals. Now, they're not releasing any of the other information, so it's hard to know what that means from, a, from our point of view. But, right, the, the, the Twins have, have lost some games, so the Twins also lost the game because of, you know, civil disrest, unrest. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and then, yeah, right, the Phillies are not having some issues, but they haven't lost games yet. It, it, what they say is it just depends on the potential for spread. I mean, with the Astros, it seems like nobody actually had any symptoms or anything. And so while it was like all their infield, it wasn't an issue beyond those players, I guess. Whereas the with the in the case of the Nationals, you know, they were all on the plane together before they had the positive test. So there was some concern that it was going to end up being like an 18 person type of thing, like last year with the Cardinals and Marlins. So that is why they're saying that's what they're saying is the difference. It's hard to know what that, what that really means since we're not privy to any of that technical information. It's another situation where it's hard to know what that means because one, they didn't really say anything. So it's just kind of like a, a vague word sandwich or word salad. And two, it's the league. Like how many times, I guess I'm going to be a broken record about this, that like we just can't believe them with anything they say, Mm -mm. which really leads us to the next topic of Nick Castellanos losing his suspension appeal. And he was, they said, no, we can't reduce this. We can't, you're not going to win the appeal because you incited uh, a potential super spreader event, basically like a shoving match that was a potential super spreader event. Are you kidding me? Like, what did Adam Eaton just do when he slid and and Andres Jimenez kind of nudged him off the bag and Eaton pushed him? Like, wh- or like, what about the thirty eight thousand fans that are being let into Colorado or, or whatever it is? Like, you know, Texas, this, right? Texas, yeah. is, right? It's just like there are all these different rules, and and that's that's an insane reason. I mean, they're each team is individually already in the dugout. They're not, it's not like they're socially distanced, right? Like. He was, and he was already, you know, literally standing above the guys that he was pushing. So it's just that's an insane reason. It's dumb. I, I like you. I definitely I want the league to be hardcore about about enforcing COVID rules. Right. That means Justin Turner should have got freaking suspended for coming out for the World <laughs> Series. Yes. Not like how does he not get punished, but Nick Castellanos has to deal with this petty two game suspension it, because of his super spreader event at home plate. I mean, it's, it, it's a joke. It's it is, and it seems like the lower the stakes are, the more serious the league will take it. The, yes. the further the lengths they'll go to make it uh, to make an example out of it, which is so frustrating and so infuriating. And and all of these things tie together. One of the biggest things that I think to really take away from all of this conversation is that all of these things tie together. When they are so flimsy on that Castiano suspension, how are we supposed to trust them with something as important as literally the centerpiece of the game in the ball? I it's. Well, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, we can't get into this now because it's too big, but I, I do want to at some point talk about Trevor Bauer and his whole 
deal with you know mucking up the ball right he's he challenged major league baseball last year and said yep. why aren't you guys cracking down on this no one everyone's using putting stuff on the baseball to get more uh more traction why aren't you doing anything about it they didn't do anything about it and then he essentially just started doing it right it's like his spin rates went up by a greater increase than any pitcher ever it's couldn't be more obvious that he's using something. He couldn't be making it more obvious that he's using something. And yet nothing's being done about it. It's just he's spitting in the face of Major League Baseball, being like, you're going to actually do something about this? Come and get me. Here it is. Like, you should do something. You're not going to. So now I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go do the thing. I'm going I'm to force your hand. But they're still not doing anything about it. It's, it's, it's kind of an incredibly brazen, like, acts against the th- I don't even know what it is really because it's clearly in his, in his own favor but it is kind of this like push to the league to try to get them to crack down on something and and essentially like he thought they were going to do something about it and they didn't and instead they just gave him the Cy Young award yeah that's uh, that is an issue for another day and uh, I'll have to build up my strength for that one because any conversation involving uh, Trevor Bauer is uh, utterly deflating uh, at least for me. So that, that'll have to yeah. be a separate conversation yeah. for sure. Uh, maybe down the road, maybe when inevitably his next controversy does come up because we all know it's coming. It's just a matter of when. Uh, why don't we talk about somebody who seems to be much more of a palatable option, especially for uh, Atlanta, for the Marlins, for the Nationals right now. Maybe the, the Tigers, you're saying, should be considering Anibal Sanchez. Yeah, what the heck? Anibal Sanchez, he's coming back. He cut his finger during his last showcase. He's almost good to go again. He's going to have another showcase. The, the Marlins, the Nats, and the Braves are interested. Tigers, where are you at? Those are all of his former teams. What's going on? <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, also, is there like a is, – is, is it his own personal moratorium that he will only play in the NL East now? Or I mean, it makes all three of those teams – I don't know why the Marlins could really use him. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. The, Nat, the Nats desperately need him. The Braves could really use him. The Tigers, why not? Bring well, them back. Kim Eng, the Marlins GM, just said that it might be a while before Sixto's back, so I wouldn't be surprised if they want yeah. uh, some depth there. Uh, but, hey, the Phillies might need a starter too, uh, because why not? Yeah, they were tied to him over the winter, but uh, I haven't heard anything more recently from them. So hopefully Sanchez sounds soon, if nothing else, because La Mariposa, it's one of the best pitches in the game, that <laughs> butterfly changeup. I want to see it again. I miss it. Well, I'll, I'll take this opportunity to perhaps make you happy over something else. Again, all, all, all positives and congratulations to you right now for Me? the Oakland A's. Yeah, on a 10-game uh, winning streak, right? Whew, I was worried. I was worried about them for a bit. I definitely picked them to win the, the American League West. I wasn't sure about their offseason, but then as I as I dug into it for that uh, offseason in review for MLB trade rumors, I, I just, they sold me. I became all in. I was all in on the A's, and then Rosenthal goes down, Puck goes down. They lose their first 12 games or whatever it is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's looking pretty bad. But then classic A's fashion, they're back already. 10-game win streak. Here we come. Elvis Andrews to the rescue. <laughs> what a strange phrase for 2021. <laughs> the pitcher list... Piece of the week, I think in in the same vein as much of this conversation, certainly when it comes to pitches in the zone and swing rates and how pitchers are performing against batters early on, Chad Young's early season swing rate changers. Make sure you check that out. Always a fun piece to check out. Always that kind of idea, seeing who's doing something a little differently as we do start to edge into territory where we can really believe plate discipline. So 
All this being said, TC, if the people want more of you, which I don't know why they wouldn't at this point through the week, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me in the upstairs office at my mother-in-law's house in Silver Spring, Maryland. <laughs> uh, or if you want to just read my writing, uh, you could uh, you could subscribe to the Pitcherless newsletter. Uh, I'll be sending that out tomorrow morning. Uh, you can do that at pitcherless.com. I will have a piece coming out on Friday for Pitcherless. And uh, otherwise, you can get me at MLB Trade Rumors every now and again and on Twitter at TC Zenka. You can find me at Baseball Prospectus, handling the off-the-charts, depth charts uh, pieces all season long. Uh, they drop every Monday. And because time is a flat circle and means nothing, I had to really think what that actually meant and what day <laughs> that was. Uh, every other week, doing a fantasy freestyle. Of course, this week's on players having a hard time making contact on those pitches in the zone. You can find me around our Discord, which is a, a wonderful community that answers all sorts of things from uh, fantasy questions to silly nonsense to watch parties of certain games throughout the course of the week. Uh, really a great time there. And you can find me online at on Twitter at Tim Jackson Says. You can find us at BreakingPodPL. Uh, you can email us at BreakingPodGL at BreakingPodPL. PL at gmail.com. More letters need to rhyme less, I think. Get your list.com. Uh, come, come check us out. <laughs> uh, yes, the site we write for, getyourlist.com. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, if, if you folks could rate us five stars, if you could leave a, a kind comment, uh, it would make our day, but also help the pot out a ton. Uh, on that note, we hope you had fun this week. We hope you're back next week, and we hope you have the best week ever. Until then, we'll see you then, everybody. And oh, Nats win one nothing. <laughs> <laughs>